0: The following is a sermon from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information and resources can be found online at parkchurch.org.
1: This morning's scripture, as Jason said, is Psalm 135. Psalm 135. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near you in the pew. And it can be found on page 487 in the Pew Bible. It's page 487. And if you don't have a Bible of your own at home, uh, please feel free to take one of these Pew Bibles with you as a gift from Park Church. Psalm 135. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages, for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks, Amanda. Again, my uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors uh, on staff here at Park. Before I pray, I just want to say what a joy it is to be with you all. Uh, it is uh, so good to be with the saints, uh, praising and worshiping uh, the Lord. Uh, maybe I'm foolish call me foolish if you want Sunday morning is my favorite time of the week I love coming here I love coming here to worship God and I love coming here to see so many of you I don't say that lightly or as a flippant statement I love coming to worship with the family Uh, so thank you for being here today and it's just a joy to to be with you let's go ahead and pray Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have uh, worked through it, that you do work through it. Lord, we pray that you would work through it now. Um, As you've been working through the things that we've been singing uh, to stir affection, to stir worship in our hearts, Lord, would you use your word here to do the same thing. Transform us. I pray, Lord, that you would not leave us uh, untouched this morning. For those who are here who don't know you, would you lovingly and graciously convict through your word today? For those of us here who who know you, who put our faith in you, would you draw us even closer to yourself today? Would you um, mold us, shape us, perhaps break off things that need to be broken off, carve off things that need to be carved off such that we would know you better and image you better to those around us and to the world around us. Uh, Lord Jesus, move us and change us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Before we jump into Psalm 135, to set the table, I'd love to read from Joshua 24. Joshua 24. So, if you've got your Bible there or you've got your phone, flip or turn or scan over to Joshua 24, early part of the Old Testament. Joshua 24, and we're going to read verses 14 and 15 again. We're setting the table here for Psalm 135. Joshua 24, 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, uh, that your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Allow this statement, particularly choose this day whom you will serve to be the backdrop for Psalm 135. I think that statement, perhaps in the form of a question, whom will you serve, is the theme that's running throughout Psalm 135. So with that... Let's flip back to that psalm. Psalm 135 has no author that's credited to it, and it's difficult to gauge where exactly in Israel's history or perhaps what occasion the psalm was written for. In any case, it's a psalm that's for God's people in all places and all times. It is a mosaic of other parts of Scripture. It pulls at times, word for word, from various parts of the Old Testament. It's a good old fashioned mashup that when put together is a poetically beautiful psalm with a powerful, powerful message. Question for you. Is there anybody here that when you read a book or perhaps when you watch a movie, you like to skip to the end to know what's the ending? Anybody like that? A few, okay, I appreciate Charles' honesty. In the first service, it was only children who raised their hands. <laughs> I like to know the end as well. So I'm gonna give you the end and then we'll jump into the middle. Verses 1 through 3 and verses 19 through 21 act as bookends, they serve to introduce and then conclude the intent. Of the psalmist which is to call the people of God in its historical context it was the Israelites to praise and to bless God and as this psalm is for God's people in all places and all times it's also a call to us God's people today to remember and to praise God for what he's done and a quick aside because when I say God's people today do you realize we are in a lineage of followers of this God going back generations and generations and generations and generations. I don't know about you. That it blows my mind, and it stirs worship. It stirs affection. We are today loving and serving and worshiping the Lord that has been worshiped for generations and for ages. So, spoiler alert, the end of the story is worship. That's where we're going today, because that's where the psalmist goes. Verse one, praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Verse three, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. And then verse 19, Bless the Lord. House of Aaron, bless the Lord. House of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. And then the psalm ends with praise the Lord. In his preaching last week, Neil mentioned that our blessing the Lord, as it's mentioned in verses 19 through 21, is to praise the Lord, to worship him. Neil also mentioned last week that blessing the Lord, praising Him, worshiping Him, is the height of what we were created for. We were made as worshiping beings, made to bend the knee in humble and joyful submission to something or to someone. As Paul Tripp writes in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, human beings by their very nature are worshipers. Worship is not just something that we do, It defines who we are. You cannot divide human beings into those who worship and those who don't. Everybody worships. It's just a matter of what or whom we serve. Everybody worships. Just a matter of what or whom we serve. So, that's our bookends. That's the end of the story. Worship. Now the middle. Maybe the why, what, the middle of the psalm, say from verses 3 through 18, the psalmist is going to hold up two things for us, one to worship, the other that we worship, except one's going to be for our joy, for our flourishing, for our life, the other is deadly. In verse 3, the psalmist starts with, worship this one. The psalmist declares, the Lord is good. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. The Lord is good. He's pleasant. The ESV note uh, there states, pleasant might also read beautiful. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think beauty just adds something to that. He's good. He's pleasant. He sums up what is beautiful. Beautiful. The Hebrew word for good or goodness is tov. In their book, A Church Called Tov, Laura Berenger and Scott McKnight write this. Goodness or tov is first and foremost about God. God is tov. The psalmist declares that you are tov and do only tov. That's from Psalm 119. When God chose to reveal his glory to Moses, he hid him in a crack in a crag on Mount Sinai and said, I will make all my tov pass before you and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. That's Exodus 33, 19. When God's tov passed by Moses, the palm of God's hand protected Moses from being undone by the sheer intensity of God's glory. As God's tov passed by, he announced his name, Yahweh, Thus, God's tov became inextricably connected to his name. That's how vital tov is in the Bible. God is good. And then verse 4, the psalmist remembers that the Lord chose Jacob. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. He chose them to be his people. Why? Because of something special about them? No. God chose them to be his people. He set his steadfast love and his power on them simply because he wanted to. In commenting on this verse, Charles Spurgeon wrote this. Election is one of the most forcible arguments for adoring love. Chosen. Chosen unto himself. Who can be grateful enough for being concerned in this privilege? Jacob have I loved, said Jehovah, and gave no reason for his love except that he chose to love. Jacob had then done neither good nor evil, yet thus the Lord determined, and thus he spake. If it be said that the choice be made upon foresight of Jacob's character, it is perhaps even more remarkable, for there was little enough about Jacob that could deserve special choice. By nature, Jacob was by no means the most lovable of men. No, It was sovereign grace that dictated the choice. God is great. He is good, he is tov. And he chose a people for himself. If you are here, sorry, you are here. I wish I would stop saying that when I preach. You are here. If you believe by faith that Jesus died to rescue you from your sins, that's you. He chose you, he set his sovereign grace upon you, not because of anything in yourself, just because he said, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you, that's amazing. Verse five, I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is above all gods. God is great in his holiness, he is above all gods. The Hebrew word for holy means to cut, to cut apart, different than, different than anything else. And then we get reminders in verse six and seven, just how different he is. Verse six, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth. Hear this now, he makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain, that's our God, and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He is different than us, cut apart. But not just different from us whom he created. The text there says in verse 5, he is different than everything. He is different, cut apart from all other gods. He is holy. And then in verses 8 through 12, we get reminders. They are reminders to God's people to remember and reverently praise God for his power shown in judgment over his enemies, over the enemies of his people. But we also get reminders of God's love for his people. Verse 8 He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Pharaoh had commanded the Hebrew midwives. And then eventually when the midwives refused, he demanded that all the Egyptians kill all of the male Hebrew children that were born. This is a reminder that the Lord struck down the firstborn of Egypt and in that striking down of man and of animal, it was an act of justice toward the rebellious Egyptians in a show of love toward his people. And then signs and wonders. Who in your midst, O Egypt, that's verse 9, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants. The signs and wonders, the plagues, were meant to show the power of God, opposed to the power of a haughty and rebellious Pharaoh, but also opposed to the impotent gods of Egypt. God is setting himself up to say, I'm not like you, I'm far greater, I'm different. And then verses 10 through 12, who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan. And he gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people, Israel. Much of the conquering of these nations is recorded in Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then the book of Joshua, which we read from at, at the beginning. Sion and Og were a few of the first kings to be conquered by Moses and the Israelites. This was the Lord fulfilling his promises to Israel, removing a pagan people who had defiled the land and giving Israel back the land that he had promised to Abraham long ago. But don't miss, this is the Lord fighting on behalf of his people. In those texts he says, don't worry, I go before you. I will deliver this people into your hand. This is the Lord helping his people defeat enemies that they likely wouldn't have been able to defeat on their own. One of our staff members, when we were looking through this passage about a week and a half ago, one of our staff members said, this kind of reads like a greatest hits of the Lord's faithfulness to his people. And that got me thinking about something throughout the last week and a half. I'll share a story with you. About 2001 or 2002, somewhere in there, It was before Elizabeth and I got married. I was visiting her. We were dating again. I was visiting her in Chicago. Uh, She was at Wheaton College at the time. She was in class, so I took her uh, maroon RAV 4, and I was driving around Wheaton. Ended up in Naperville, Illinois. Anybody from Naperville? The Hubbards are here. If the Hubbards are here, I know they'd be like raising their hand. Yeah, one. Okay. Anyway. I wound up in Naperville, Illinois, with a song on the radio that still has this impact for me today. Uh, U2 released a song back in 2000 that was an extremely popular song. Anybody want to take a guess what it was? Beautiful day. I don't know what was said over here, but I know Becca said it. Beautiful day. So it was like a year or two after that song had been released. I'm driving along, and I'm listening to that song, and I, it wasn't the U2 song that did this but the Lord somehow works this way for me. I'm driving along and I get the strongest impression from the Holy Spirit that I had ever gotten to that point and that I've ever had since. I'm driving along, I'm in Naperville, Illinois, and this RAV, U2's playing, windows are down, and I just, this impression of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to show you amazing things. I was so impacted, I immediately balled. I had to pull off the road as safe as I could, and I sat there and I cried and cried and cried for 30 minutes or so. I was so joyously undone by something that I had been impressed upon, but I had no idea what it meant. Well, my, uh, my wife and I have been here along with some others, since this church was planted back in 2008. And I've never seen anything like the Red Sea being parted. And I've never seen anything like the plagues. But in hindsight, 22 years later now, I don't think that's what the Lord was actually doing. When he said amazing, I think what he was saying now, and what he's shown me for 22 years, Jason, I'm gonna give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear what is truly amazing. And the reason that brings us back to, or the reason I think about that when I think Greatest Hits is we've had the Lord in this church body do some incredible things. We've had a lot of pain and a lot of sorrow, absolutely. We've made mistakes and we've paid for it but we've had the Lord moving and working in our church body. So I'm gonna mention a few. And as I do that, these are in no particular order, and that's purposeful. I I think if we allow our hearts to be amazed by God, I truly think, and perhaps I'm a fool, all of these things are amazing. And one last word before I start mentioning just some. As I mention some of these, I know that we're in a room that has a lot of pain and a lot of sorrow, a lot of bad things that happen in our world. So as I mention these, I realize there could be an opposing like, yeah, that healing happened, but I haven't been healed yet. This, I know that this person was blessed, but I, I haven't been, and I know that that's gonna be true. Some degree that's true for each and every one of us in this room. But I encourage you with a few things. One. If we don't have the eyes to see and the ears to hear where the Lord is working, we become bitter. We become angry and we start to hold the Lord in judgment. And if it isn't that, and perhaps it is that, or sometimes it is that, and then it's also we get paralyzed then by fear, and we stop seeing and we stop seeing good, we stop doing good. So as I mentioned these, just... My, uh, my heart would pray that your heart has affections for the Lord stirred in it as you see and hear some of the things the Lord's done in this church body. So, again, I said, some of these are going to be minimal, but I don't think they're minimal. They might sound minimal to the wisdom of our culture, but I don't think they are. One, we've had people come to faith in this church body. Yes! We've had people who were, as Ephesians 2 says, "dead in trespasses and sins." Not able to choose Jesus, come alive and choose him." Again, it caught me crazy. I don't think it's all that different than Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. He's still making dead people alive. We've had adults in this church body. We've had children in this church body, proclaim Jesus. I sat with a little girl a few weeks ago, and my goodness, I'm not sure I've heard an adult proclaim the gospel better, nor actually talk about what she wants to do with her life. I'm not sure I've heard an adult talk about those things. That's amazing. I just pray that that miracle wouldn't be lost on you. We have various testimonies in this church of incredible, incredible miracles being done in the womb to babies whom doctors said, you should abort this baby. Baby's probably not gonna make it to childbirth. And if they do, they're probably not gonna live much past that. I mean, Peter up here just sharing testimony earlier. We've had children born into our church body who had significant medical needs and surgeries And the Lord has seen them through healthy to this day. And I'm telling you, some of these kids still walk this church. If you know their stories, I pray that when you see them, your heart is just, I pray that you would smile and worship because of the God that you love and worship and serve, because it's that God that does those things. And we've had it in this church body, and some of those kids still walk this church. One of them was sitting right up here during the 9 a.m. and I'm like looking at her just like I want you to be undone by our Lord. I've seen people we've seen people turn from sin, long-standing besetting sin and turn towards the Lord. This is truly amazing. I've seen friends, people, acquaintances out in out in the church body, husbands, wives who would at one point choose a quick hurtful word or a hurtful action instead humbly repent and choose to love and serve that person by their words and their actions, and I'm telling you, that's nothing short of our God saying, I'm changing that person. They're no longer choosing to go to darkness. They're no longer choosing brokenness. They're choosing to love, and that is miraculous. We've had people plagued by the demonic at Park. I don't know if that makes you uneasy or not, but that's the church you're in. We believe it, we believe in the demonic and we believe in the power of the kingdom of God over it. We've prayed for people in the name of Jesus and we have witnessed him graciously removing the demonic from people, from houses, or from certain situations. And every time I think about some of them, I'm like, I'm undone by them. We've experienced people being healed in our church body. Do we long for more? Absolutely. But we've been witness to people being healed. And many of them, they are attenders of Park who are, who are the recipients of that healing. I think too, like I was thinking about the church, I was just looking around the room during worship, uh, during songs earlier, I'm thinking, just the number of children in this church, children themselves are a blessing, they're a gift. And I don't want to take this too far as a material possession. We longed, when we planted this church, we longed, we prayed for and longed to put down roots in this city. And the story of how we bought this building is for another day, but it's a pretty cool story. The Lord saw fit to bless us with this church building in 2012. For us to worship here, for us to use it to love and serve our community. Uh, And every time I step foot in this church building, I appreciate the Lord's kindness and graciousness toward us because he didn't have to. So, There's a lot of pain and death and destruction in this world. There's a lot of biting and devouring of one another. All of it is... results of where Psalm 135 is about to turn, but let's pause here. Let's pause. The Lord is working. He's working in your life. You may not feel it right now. Perhaps you feel the opposite. That isn't the truth. The Lord is working. He's moving to display his glory, and there is much good in this world. I'm reminded of an interaction between Samwise Gamgee and Frodo Baggins in The Lord of the Rings. Sadly, it's a quote that I don't think is actually in the Two Towers book. It's in the movies, written for the movies. (laughs) But it's so stinking good that you wish Tolkien would have written it. Here's Sam. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were, and sometimes you didn't wanna know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come, and when the sun shines, it'll shine out all the clearer. Those are the stories that stayed with you that meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why, but I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. Frodo asks him, well, what are we holding on to, Sam? That there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. There is Tove in this world because of our God, and it's worth fighting for. So, what are we fighting against? The thing that the Lord is being compared to, that's what we're fighting against. In verses 15 through 18, the Lord is being compared now as the psalmist turns to idols or to idolatry. Here the idol being portrayed as a graven or a sculpted image of gold or silver. Think uh, golden calf of Exodus 32. And recall then that in Exodus 20, the Lord spoke, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You see, we were created as worshiping beings. But disobedience, the disobedience of Adam and Eve and the fall in the Garden of Eden disoriented our worship. It disoriented our desires. We long to worship creation now. We long to worship ourselves. We desire to worship things that were never, ever meant to be worshiped, nor to satisfy the deep, deep longings of our soul. Graven images, do we worship them? Yes. But the fallen human heart doesn't stop at worshiping graven images of our Lord and Savior. Our enemy, the devil, is delighted to watch us gorge ourselves on a myriad of things that will never satisfy us nor bring us deep peace. John Calvin in his Institutes once wrote, the human mind is a forge of idols, Or factory of idols and then he says it substitutes vanity and an empty phantom in the place of God sorry I short-circuited that quote so there's a little bit more there but it's the empty phantoms that I want us to key in on what empty phantoms do we substitute in our day in our culture What do we substitute in order to obtain that deep longing of the soul? What things does your soul long for other than God? Instructing you that I have to have this, I must have this in order to be happy and content. Here's where we get away from the graven images because a lot of what we bow down to is comfort, sex, food, security, status, whatever beautiful picture and fulfilling picture of life that we want, that we have to have, we often bow down to trying to find the, the right and true sense of self, but that's almost always defined by us. Control. I've often felt like my life is often controlled by control. Here's a quick excursus. Fear, fear is a horrible and horrific motivator. And it's so often it's what we're motivated by. And control is often in the service of fear. I fear something happening or I fear it not happening. So I will do everything I can to control it. But we're finite creatures. We don't control that much. Idolatry leads to death, spiritual death, separation from the Lord in this life and in the life to come. But let me submit this to you. Long before idolatry ends in a physical death and in a spiritual death, it leads to death way before that. Idolatry only sees death, so it reacts to it. It only hears death, so it responds to what it hears. I gotta get, I gotta get, I gotta get, I gotta fill, I gotta fill, I gotta fill, I gotta fill, and I'm gonna use everybody else to do it. That's death. Since it only sees and hears death, it speaks death. And I submit to you, this is the cause of the biting and devouring that we have in our world. This is the cause, this idolatry and the insatiable need to get it because we're not finding it in the Lord. That's the cause for the biting and devouring in our nation, in our city, in our church, family, in our lives. The Lord brings flourishing. His way is life, peace, rest, joy, freedom, humanity as it should be, as opposed to death. And he calls us to be Tov, to be good as he is good. In order for us to do that, we have to be set free from our prison, from the prison of idolatry. We have to fight against it, but how? Carrie, you're in the room. I saw you a second ago. Carrie Langford did this beautiful painting for us that you may have seen uh, when you came in the room. I stood before that painting a fair amount this week, uh, and I think it's a beautiful painting, so thank you for using your gifts to bless our church body, Carrie. She wrote this in in her words uh, about about the painting. It's reaching out, this hand, surrounded by the beautiful color, showing vulnerability and need of something or someone else. It is relaxed and accessible, The vibrant colors that make up this ordinary hand depict life, hope, and surrender. beautiful thing about art is it's left open to whoever's viewing it's kind of interpretation. What does this painting speak to me? When I stand before that painting, I am undone by the invitation that I see in that hand the beautiful invitation that reminds me that the pinnacle of what God has done, the thing most worthy of remembrance of praise, is the cross of Jesus and his resurrection. In dying for us, Jesus struck down the power of sin, the power of Satan, and the power of death. For those who believe in him by faith, he's given a new heart and the power now to overcome idolatry. In Christ, we've been given the ability to worship rightly, and we've been given the, the, the ability or the power to choose tove goodness. Relationship with Jesus brings freedom. It also brings joy, contentment, peace, and rest. And it brings this, the desire that other people would flourish and thrive. It brings true humanity and life. If you're not a believer, I pray that you would hear the invitation today. Jesus reaches his hand out to you. He is life and hope. He's accessible. In his own words, he says, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. He asks you to choose this day whom you will serve and he bids you choose him. Perhaps many of you here are in a place where you've committed your life to love and serve Jesus as Lord and Savior, but we find the allure of idols pulling our heart away. Control, security, I can't get the things I want, so I become bitter, holding God in judgment because things don't go the way I want them to. Jesus invites you today, Christian, to remember whom you serve. And to choose him again today and tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. Here's a reality. When we come to know Jesus, we do make a decision to say, I give my life to you. But we also are gonna choose that again tomorrow because idolatry's gonna be there saying, choose me, choose me, choose me. Satan's gonna be there saying, choose that, choose that, choose that, choose that. Every day we make decisions. Who will choose? you serve. He's worth it. He's better. He is above all other gods. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are above all other gods. That you have come to uh, purchase a people for yourself, to make those who are blind, who are deaf, uh, who cannot speak, uh, who, who are dead in trespasses and sins. You come, you lived a sinless life, died on the cross and rescued us from something that we couldn't do ourselves. You defeated enemies that we could not ever defeat. And so Lord, we thank you. We ask that you would uh, continue to do this, continue to open blind eyes, Uh, continue for those whose eyes are open, continue to draw us closer to yourself, making us more and more and more into your image. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. More information and more resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Take care.